Psalm 27, continuing our sermon summer series in the book of Psalms. Verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord that, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Verse 7. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, as Rafe already kind of set up earlier uh, for our service about this whole idea of 100 days, so I actually want to share with you my card for the 100 days. Um, and actually, it's not my card. It's actually my son's card, my six-year-old son's card. So my, my son, Ethan, he's part of a park district camp program at McGuane Park, which is right in the Bridgeport neighborhood. Now, as you can imagine, for youth camps, uh, all the youth camps, that there's always a lot of crying that happens amongst the kids for whatever reason. You know, they don't want to be there. You know, someone made fun of them, whatever reason. So there's always a lot of crying when I show up there. And I was talking to my son, like we do every single day when I pick him up, like, hey, how was it today? What did you learn? You know, did you have fun? Stuff like that. And my son said to me, oh, yeah, today one of my friends was crying. I'll say, oh, I'm really sad to hear that. Well, you know, what did, you know, did, you, you know, did you help your friend? Did you say anything to your friend? And my son said, yeah, I told him that Jesus laid his life down for him. I was like, what just happened here? He's like, yeah, I just told him that Jesus laid his life down for him. And I was like, whoa. I was like, I was like, I was like really? That, that, that's awesome. Like, I got another preacher in the house. That's fantastic. And, and I asked him, like, where did you learn that from? And can I just give a word of encouragement? He said, he said that I learned it in Sunday school. He learned it in that back room over there. Can I just tell you, like, whoever, if you guys serve in the children's ministry, you are discipling the next generation. It is amazing stuff. You know, I, I, I wanted to take credit for it. I wish he said it was me who, who told him that. But he's like, no, I, I learned it in Sunday school. And, and can I also just say, like, what, what I really appreciate about this story is that when my son saw that someone was in trouble, he knew who to go to. 
He knew where to go to. And I can also say, just with, with the students here, you guys are doing the exact same thing. And I want to let you know that when you guys graduate and do, you know, the working world, life is going to get super complicated. Can I just encourage you, don't let it get complicated. Everything was so straightforward this past summer. Do you know why? It was all about Jesus. That's all it was. It's all about Jesus. It's all about proclaiming him and living for him. And that's really what the 100 days is all about. Now, I share all this here because my son, the students here, right, the college students here, we know who to go to. David here today is writing about some of the most incredibly difficult situations that have happened to him and can happen to him that probably had him crying. If you just look kind of quickly at our verses again, look at all the things that David says. Verse 2, when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh. Verse 3, though an army encamp against me, though war arise against me. Verse 10, for my father and my mother have forsaken me. Verse 12, give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me. Okay, David is not naive about what's going on here. Everything that can go wrong in his life, he is laying out here. And he is dealing with deep fears and anxieties. And he's not scared to call it what it is. He's not scared to be vulnerable. If we when we read this psalm, we notice that David is facing his troubles. How could he do this? It's because he knew where to place his hope. David makes this prayer in his trouble. Verse 4 again. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Now let me ask you, when you're faced with troubles, how do you handle it? Or better yet, what would you pray for? If you're in David's situation, what would you pray for? Well, I know what I would pray for. God, would you take away my enemies? God, would you have my parents love me again? God, I pray that people will stop talking trash about me. That David is literally writing about a situation where a murderous army is coming after him and they are so vengeful, they are so angry, they are so rage-filled, rage-filled that they said that I want to eat David's flesh, okay? So, you know, God, I would love to have some more weapons. Some really big weapons would be great, right? Or, or, or God, you know, give me a bigger and meaner army, you know, that, that would really help. David doesn't pray for any of this. David doesn't crave vengeance. He doesn't cry out first for protection or justice. No. David's first thoughts are to run to the temple where the Lord dwells. His first desire is to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. That David, in essence, says here that when death is at my door, when everything and everyone is against me, I know exactly what I want. I want to worship you. When everything seems wrong, there is one thing that is necessary, and that is to seek the Lord. That David could stare at his enemies, he could stare at death, and he did not fear because he saw more than his circumstances. He saw beyond them to someone who can give him confidence and comfort. He saw through the threats and saw God. You know, church, Psalm 27 is an invitation for us. First, it's an invitation for us to just be like David and acknowledge the messiness of life. 
that there is toil and struggle in holding on to God in a broken world. So anxiety, fear, sadness, that is very normal. That's a very understandable part of the human experience. But, but, God doesn't want us to live there. He wants us to live, he wants us to live beyond and above it. That if you notice in Psalm 27, yes, we have the words enemies, the word war, the word evil, the word adversaries, but Psalm 27 also has the words strength, confident, beauty, sing, salvation, joy, and goodness. There is hope in our troubles. So with that, what can we learn from David? How, how could he have hope? How can we have hope in our trouble? And, and here are the three points that are going to move us along. First, gaze at God. Second, learn from God. And then finally, seek God's face. Gaze at God, learn from God, seek God's face. So first, gaze at God and not at the trouble, okay? Verse 4. Once again, one thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. David knew that his troubles, David, David could face his troubles because he knew God was more beautiful than any ugly thing in his life. That David knew that God was beautiful in his sovereignty, beautiful in his wisdom, beautiful in his grace, beautiful in his love, beautiful in his mercy, beautiful in his tenderness. And that is exactly what we need to see in our moments of trouble. Otherwise, our troubles will overwhelm us. It will consume our mind. We're, we're going to meditate, meditate on it day and night. And before you know it, your troubles are going to define you. Your troubles will become your identity. You're nothing more than your failures, your, your losses, your, your worries, your disappointments. And the more you gaze at your troubles, don't they become larger and larger and and larger and larger, and then God's presence becomes smaller and smaller, and he becomes more distant. That is why we panic and fear, because we are overwhelmed. We're letting, instead of letting God overwhelm our problems, we're letting our problems overwhelm us. You know, for many of us right now, we're gazing at a lot of ugly things. You know, maybe from a broad spectrum, you know, we're, we're gazing at our country coming apart at the seams. You know, we're gazing at the rising death and, and crime. You know, we're gazing at what we don't have and what's been taken from us and, and missed opportunities. Or maybe, frankly speaking, we're gazing too much at Netflix or, or Amazon Prime. Is it any wonder why we're so bothered and anxious? David refuses to let this happen. He won't go there. Instead, he thinks of the temple to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Now, what is this beauty? I think we see it in verse 1. Look at verse 1 here. What's the beauty of God? Verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom, of whom shall I be afraid? Do you know what's, ha what's happening here? Even though Psalm 27 is a psalm of trouble, David doesn't start with trouble. He starts with God. That in his moment of trouble, the very first thing he does is that he preaches the gospel to himself. And let me just say that when we face troubles, we will always preach something to ourselves. 
We'll either preach defeat, resentment, bad news, or we can be like David and preach the good news of who our God is. You know, in verse 1, there's at least three things David brings to mind about the beauty of God. He says that the Lord is my light, the Lord is my salvation, and the Lord is the stronghold of my life. Okay, let me just quickly go through those. First, David says that I know the Lord's beautiful because the Lord is my light. Now, light stands for what is pure and true and right. In a world that seems so impure, so unrighteous, in a world where there seems to be so much wrong happening, there is one who is true, one who is right, and one who rules over, over all. Now, here's the thing about darkness. Darkness has a way of increasing our fears. The unknown is terrifying. And it's in darkness, we begin to ask a lot of the what ifs. What if this happens? What if that happens? In our troubles, it can be hard to see God. But when the Lord is our light, it means that even though we can't see him, he sees us. You know, there's a story in Exodus chapter 3 where the children of Israel are facing immense affliction under the hand of Pharaoh, and they've been crying out nonstop, God help us, God help us, where are you at? God says this, I have seen the affliction of my people, I have heard their groans, and I have come down to deliver them. That is the light of God. You can't see God in your troubles, but let me tell you something, God can see you. God sees you right where you're at, and because he sees you, you can live confidently. That is the beauty of the Lord. Second, the Lord is my salvation. Salvation means deliverance from bad things, from evil things. It means that no matter what today might look like or whatever problems might come tomorrow, when it seems like the bad guys are winning and there's evil at every single turn, when the Lord is my salvation, it means that evil does not win. God wins. One day at the end of history, we're gonna be invited to a funeral that we all wanna go to. And it'll be the funeral of sin, Satan, and death. That is the beauty of the Lord. And here's the third thing that David says. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Now, the idea of a stronghold is like a fortified building that provides protection against attacks. There is safety and refuge. And in those moments that I feel vulnerable in my troubles, that I feel weak, that I feel lonely, there's a place that I can go to and I can find rest. You know, earlier this week, our family took a mini vacation to Warren Dunes uh, for some beach fun. And when we went out there, the waves were just like, it was menacing. Like the waves are just like super high. And my two older sons, they loved it because they're bigger and they're able to like run into the waves and punch it. And you know, they got all violent with the waves. They had a great time. But my, my third son, who's only four years old, he also loves playing in the water but the waves were too much for him. He, he was too scared to go in because he knew that he would be overrun by the waves. So as his two older brothers are frolicking in the waves, laughing and having fun and swimming, you know, my third son, Ian, he's on the verge of tears. So what I do is I take my son's hand and I lead him out into the water. And what I do is I lead him out into the water and I stand right in front of him. He's right behind me and I stand right in front of him And the whole entire time as I'm doing that, I'm letting the waves beat against me so that my body could create this little barrier where my son could feel safe. Can I just say, this is what it means for the Lord to be your stronghold. 
He takes the beating so you don't have to. That is the beauty of the Lord. Do you see why David had peace and hope in a time of trouble? It's because he gazed at the beauty of who his God was. When we face our troubles, either you will gaze at your troubles and you will feel weak, alone, and unable, or you will gaze at God, you will gaze at his beauty and remember how awesome and beautiful he is in his love, wisdom, power, and grace, and that will give you hope and courage. Now, if I can just quickly say now for some of us, the reason why some of us feel so overrun with our troubles is maybe what we need to do is that we need to grow in our knowledge of who God is. That really, like, we want to turn to God, but we just don't know enough to, like, to, to think and to gaze at, you know, what, what am I gazing at? Can I just encourage you, as a church, we want to equip you in this way. So can I just encourage you that in September, you know, when the academy rolls around, sign up for the academy or, or sign up for a small group. We're on a weekly basis. We're looking at the Word of God and we're talking about God together. Or if I can encourage this to you, to read this classical Christian book called Knowing God by J.I. Packer, it lays out the attributes of God in a clear and very pastoral way. So once again, don't gaze at your troubles, gaze at God. Here's a second insight. How can we find hope in trouble? Learn from God. Learn from God. Now, when we face troubles, it's very easy to believe that what is the point of this? This feels so purposeless. And anytime something feels purposeless, we get discouraged and frustrated. But church, let me tell you, our troubles in the hands of our God are never without purpose. God will use it to grow our faith and character. Notice here in verse 11 that David says, Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm facing my troubles, I normally don't pray for obedience. Like, God, teach me to be more obedient. But that's exactly what David prays for, that in light of my enemies, teach me to live in a way that honors and glorifies you. What we see here is that it's in our troubles God seeks to strengthen our obedience and refine us. That we read in scripture that God's love is like a refining fire. You know, what that means is like, uh, imagine that we are all like a piece of metal or ore that's just dug up from the ground. And what happens is that you're put in the heat and the heat is turned up very high. And what begins to happen is that that metal begins to melt down and the impurities rise to the surface. And when those impurities rise to the surface, it's what gets scooped out. So what is left is pure metal. In the same way, that's how God uses trials and troubles in our lives. That he uses the heat of these circumstances not to push us away, but to sanctify us, to grow us. David has hope in his troubles because he has the maturity to know this. So in the midst of his troubles, he wants to learn what God is teaching. David wants to grow. He wants to obey. That when we're praying, when we're facing hard times and hard circumstances, yes, we should pray, God, in your kindness, would you please take this away? That's a very appropriate prayer to make. But also, also you should be praying, God, if there's a lesson for me to learn, would you please help me to learn it? Pray those prayers as well because that is what God is seeking to do. In our troubles, are we listening to God? Are we trying to learn what he's teaching us? You know, C.S. Lewis once said this. Let me show it to you. 
He said, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He shouts to us in our pain. Pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. God might be shouting at you right now because of your misplaced priorities. Maybe he's shouting because we have wandered away. Maybe he's shouting because he wants you to come back to him. It's in crisis, God's voice is amplified. Are we listening? You know, David also says in verse 14, wait for the Lord, be strong, let your heart take courage, wait for the Lord. Can I just tell you, that's the one word that many of us don't like. It's the word wait, right? We don't want to wait. We don't live in a culture that values waiting, okay? But patience is a discipline, right, that we need to have when we are faced with troubles, that we want to go and we want to fix things. We don't want to be wandering in the wilderness. But David here at the close of this psalm knows that what he is going through is a process. He understands the reason he waits is that he knows that this is a journey of spiritual growth where God is increasing his trust. Is it any wonder that when we read throughout all the Bible, the stories of the prophets, of Abraham, of Joseph, of the people in Egypt waiting for Moses, you know, for God to deliver, send to deliver for 400 years, you know, how David ran from Saul, you know, the 400 years between the Old Testament, end of the Old Testament, to Jesus, you know, the persecution of the early church. Have you noticed that there is a lot of waiting in the Christian life? God does this. Because there are lessons we learn in a time of waiting we can't learn any other way. That it's in waiting we learn that we are not in control and God is in control. It's in waiting we cry out with childlike faith. It's in waiting we can experience the goodness of God. Look at verse 13. It says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. David says that I wait for the Lord because he believes that God is good. And David right now, what he is saying is so counter to our human nature. Because we don't like to say that God is good in the hard times, but we like to say that God is good in times of plenty. That when we see Instagram pictures of weddings, hashtag God is good. You know, pictures of my baby, hashtag God is good. You know, pictures of my vacation, hashtag God is good. Picture of my new car, hashtag God is good, right? Now, it's fine and it's all good. God can be good to us in these gifts. But is God only good when he gives gifts? Is he only good in times of plenty, this is where many of us struggle because when we're in crisis, we don't really believe that God is all that good because waiting doesn't feel good. In a society that encourages instant gratification, express lanes, fast passes, next day shipping, buy now, pay later, that's what feels great. But David waits for God to answer because he believes it will be better than anything this world has to offer. He doesn't rush the process. He doesn't trust Google more than God. The Lord is good, so he waits for him. He prays, he prays, he prays. He knows that the Lord is good and the Lord will exalt, restore, establish, strengthen, and support him. Whether now or in eternity, God's goodness in, is our guarantee. Now, for some of you here today, you are in a season of waiting. You're waiting for a job, you know, waiting to become parents, waiting to adopt, waiting for companionship, 
waiting for healing, waiting for reconciliation, waiting for justice, waiting for direction. In these waiting moments, will you trust God as your perfect, sovereign, all-powerful, and good creator? In God's word, we have over 7,000 promises to encourage our hearts. But oftentimes, these promises are tied to waiting. Because waiting requires me to feel the depth of my need and my inability to do things alone. Waiting exposes whom I really trust and depend on. Waiting really exposes my one thing. Is it any wonder why God makes us wait? It's so that we would know what our one thing is and that we would go to God. Now, waiting does not mean inaction. Waiting does not mean not doing anything. Waiting means making the daily choice to trust, hope, and expect from God. It is a daily choice to obey him and believe that he is good, even though when life is not good to us. It is the daily trust that believes that God sees us, hears us, and cares for us more than we can ever imagine. You know, Charles Spurgeon wrote these words over a century ago. He says this, the carnal person, you know, a person who does not have a life-saving relationship with Jesus Christ, the carnal person believes God will give him plenty, but the Christian blesses him when he smites him. He believes him to be too wise to err and too good to be unkind. He trusts him where he cannot trace him, looks up to him in the darkest hour, and believes that all is well. Let's wait on God because he is good. Let's learn from him and lean into him in our troubles. And here's the final insight. How can we have hope in our troubles? Seek God's face. Uh, verse 7 to 10 here again. Hear, O Lord, when I cry out. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. Oh, you have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Now, what does it mean here for David to say to, to seek God's face? Now, in Scripture, to see God's face is a metaphor of knowing God in a personal way, okay? Let me kind of illustrate this. Now, just imagine that you are going to the United Center and you're watching the Chicago Bulls play. Now, the seats that I normally get are the nosebleeds, okay? I get the cheapest seats, which is usually so high that I can literally touch the ceiling. That, that's, a, that's how high I am in the United Center. Now, when I'm that high up watching the basketball game, all the players look like little dots to me, okay? That, that's all they look like. And the only way I know that someone has scored is because a Jumbotron told me who scored. That, that's the only way I know. Now, am I entertained? Sure, I'm entertained about the, with the players, but that's about it. I enjoyed them from a distance. But for some of us, though, some of us who might have won a special promotion or maybe a VIP access, that you're, that you're able to go after the game to a meet and greet, right? Some of you have been able to do that. And in a meet and greet, it's a whole different situation. Now these players aren't little dots on the court. Now you're literally face-to-face shaking hands, feeling their sweat, you know, taking pictures, you know, you're getting autographs, you're small talking. Now, before this meet and greet, 
you would have described your experience of watching the game as, yeah, you know, you know I saw Zach Levine play. Yeah, I, I saw him play. But after the meet and greet, you would say, I met Zach. I, I met him. Like, I just I call him Zach. Like, I just, that, that's where our first thing is basis now, right? Because you've had a face-to-face -face encounter. Your relationship has become a little bit more personal because it's at our faces we see each other. It's at our faces we hear each other. David sought God's face because he loved being in the presence of God. This is why in verse 1, David didn't say the Lord is light. The Lord is salvation. The Lord is the stronghold of life. That would have been absolutely true. But notice what he says in verse 1. He says the Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. David had peace and hope because he was personally connected to the one who is light. He was personally connected to the one who is salvation, the one who is strong. David's understanding of God wasn't impersonal. It wasn't just academic. It was personal and it was transformative. He knew deep in his heart that he was loved by God. Verse 10, one of our greatest fears for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. David says here that even if my closest of relationships, like that of a parent and child, if my parents would ever turn their back on me, I would never lose heart because I have the greatest love, the love of God. That is what David is saying. David seeks his face. We know, and, and we know, and we know that when David's seeking his face, we know that where David sees God's face most clearly, and we see it throughout this psalm, is he sees it at the temple of God. If you notice in our psalm, how many different ways that David talks about the temple. Now, back in those days, the temple wasn't built yet. It wasn't built till Solomon, but it was a tabernacle. But he calls it the temple. He calls it the tent. He calls it the house. He calls it all these different names. And normally, when you give something a lot of different names. It means you're probably pretty close with them because you have all these names for them. But this is how David saw God. He saw God through the temple. Verse 4 again, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. When David sees the temple, the tabernacle, he sees the beauty of God and experiences the love of God. Well, what did David see from the tabernacle, from the temple that led him to believe this? What I believe he saw and what everyone saw from the tabernacle was the sacrifices. That's what happened at the temple. The people of God would bring animals to sacrifice to atone for their sins. And I believe that it's through that sacrifice David was learning about his God. That he was seeing God's holiness and justice. He saw a God who required sin to be paid for. That he was a God who dealt with evil. But he also saw in the sacrifices a God of love. Because it's in the sacrifices there was forgiveness. That you could be made right with God and you can draw close to God. That it's in the temple he saw a merciful and just God. God, when David, when David thought about the temple, it led him to gaze at the beauty of God and it made him so hope-filled to see the temple, the tabernacle. Now let me ask you, how much more hope and fearlessness should we have 
because we don't just get to, we don't gaze God through the animal sacrifices, but now God's face has been fully revealed in the person of Jesus. David didn't have this. We have this. We've been able to see God in the flesh, a face that was tempted like we were tempted, a face that felt the pain that we felt, a face that lived the life that we could never live and died the death that we deserve, that it's on the cross. Jesus is forsaken by everyone, including God. God hides his face from Jesus in his trouble so that God would now shine his face towards us in our time of need. It's on the cross. Jesus cried out for his father not to turn away in anger. It's when Jesus, who had his father, who loved his father, who prayed to him as father for the first time on the cross, stopped calling him father because he was being forsaken. Jesus faced the false witnesses who were intent on violence. Every nightmare of Psalm 27, Jesus faced. Why? is so that you would know that your Redeemer lives. It's so that you would know forgiveness, acceptance, and life. It's so that you would know that Jesus is the true light of the world in verse one. It's so that you would know that the name of Jesus literally means the Lord saves. That's what the name Jesus says. It's so that you would know that Jesus is your stronghold because on the cross he takes the beating for you. You can face your troubles. You can face your enemies. You can face your fears because in Christ you see the face of God. Don't let your troubles overwhelm you. Let God overwhelm your troubles. Amen? Amen. You know, in the story of Job, Job and his wife, they are devastated with death and with Job's physical suffering. And it's tragedy on top of tragedy. It finally gets to a place where Job's wife, who is so overwhelmed with everything, tells Job, will you just curse God and die? Now, you know it's really bad when your wife tells you to go die, okay? You know it's really bad, right? But, but this is what I love about Job. Job doesn't do that. That instead of cursing God, he falls on his knees and worships God. You know, friends, we have the same choice. Either our troubles will move us toward God or move us away from God. Psalm 27 is an invitation to go to God, to go to the one who can give us light in our darkest times, to give us strength in our weakest moments, and to give us salvation in our greatest trouble. And his name is Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father God, we, Lord, with open hands now, God, we just lay our fears, our anxieties. As your word says, we cast our burdens upon you, God, for you care for us. And God, we see it so clearly in this psalm that, God, that one of the things I appreciate so much about the word of God is that it doesn't it's not, it's not hokey pokey. It's not like rainbows and ponies everywhere. But God, it deals with the realities of a broken and fallen world. But Father, we don't have to live in that in a way that reflects defeat, reflects sadness. But God, we can live beyond and above that. We can live with our eyes set towards you. So Father, I pray Lord, that you would help us 
to gaze upon the beauty of who you are. And we know that the fullness of that beauty is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. So Father, whatever we're facing, Lord, pain is real, the troubles are real, the fears are real, but God, you are more real than any of that. So God, help us to grow in our trust towards you. Help us to wait for you, strengthen our hearts in these moments. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.